0: from the nifty studios and touchdown productions comes a sporty new episode of tales from the trenches thrilling dramatizations of cases ripped from the advance sheets today's episode the sage keeps score it's thanksgiving and the office is quiet The attorneys and staff are home with their families, enjoying a well earned time off, and gorging on the traditional meal with all the trimmings. And what Thanksgiving would be complete without football? They go together like turkey and stuffing, like potatoes and gravy, like the people answering ready. However, the sage is at the office, keeping a vigilant watch for new precedents from the cosy confines of his opulent chambers. Yet, Even the Crummudgeon of case law has his passions, and football is his. We join him now inside the opulent chambers. I do enjoy the solitude of Thanksgiving. I'm not interrupted by the panicked wails of the trial assistants, who only want the law reduced to a phrase. They care not about the reasoning, the nuance, the history. They just want a sound bite. On the other hand, I've never fathomed why Thanksgiving requires an entire day. It's dinner. Work today. Then eat your turkey at dinner time. It's much more logical. Ah, oh, well. At least there is football. As the sage looks around to ensure he is alone... He turns on his Philco radio. And just a quick check of the scores. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Jim Horsecollar Brooks, and with me as always is my partner in crime,
1: Pops McCallahan. Thank you there, Jim Boy. It's great to be here. And I gotta tell you, we got a slate of results for you today. Well, we sure do. So let's dive right in. Tell us about the first one, Pops. You bet. The contest is from the first department and features People v. Frankie Don't Call Me Carlo Santana. Sounds like Frankie might have to change his evil ways. Ha <laughs> ha! You're so right, Jim Boy. Because in this case, the court held that the people's use of the PowerPoint presentation in their opening statement was A-OK, and the trial court properly exercised its discretion to permit it. Holy visual aids, Pops. I've heard of PowerPoints being used in summations, but openings? The coach was innovative in calling that play. You're not just changing slides there, boy. The first department held that Just because the PowerPoint was used in opening instead of summation does not make it improper. This was because the trial court advised the jurors that the prosecutor says during the opening is not evidence. The court noted that visual aids can be used in the prosecutor's opening because the people are stating that they intend to prove it. So, good call. Good call, indeed. So what's next, Pops? So we go to the second apartment and check on the battle between people and Santiago de Saint Salcido. I'm sensing the halo might be a bit tarnished here, Pops. Amen <laughs> to that, Jimboy. This was back and forth affair with several key moments. The decision began routinely enough with the court upholding the trial court's denial of the defendant's motion challenging the lineup and seeking to suppress ID testimony at trial. The second department restated the well-known proposition that there is no requirement for the fillers to be nearly identical in appearance to the defendant. Indeed, the fillers must have physical characteristics that are reasonably similar to the defendant's and that the police should take reasonable steps to conceal any difference between the fillers and the defendant's. But that's not all. Late in the decision, another issue arose that shouldn't slip by our fans. Well, that's why you gotta read the whole decision, Pops. So true there, buddy. Seems that when cross-examining the defendant, the prosecutor asked him if the testimony of a prosecution witness was a lie. However, there was no challenge flag thrown by the defense at the trial, and thus the issue was not preserved for appellate scrutiny. But upon further review, the second department said that while this line of questioning is improper, it was nevertheless harmless given the overwhelming evidence of guilt and allowed the conviction to stand.
0: Uh, That's a great finish, Pops. But caution to all of you out there. Don't ask the defendant on cross if a prosecution witness lied. That's a flag every time. Well, fans, that brings us to the midpoint of our recap. And now, a word from our sponsor.
1: Professional barbers use lather that's extra rich, extra moist. That's why, at home, Aero Shave is just what the barber ordered. Okay, we're back. And we go now to the third department and find the matchup of People v. Demetrius TikTok back. Uh oh, Pops. Looks like someone might be tardy. You're certainly on time with that one, Jim Boy. Here, there are 21-month delay between the crime date and the defendant's indictment in a shooting case. Well, that seems like a long time, Pops. You're on target there, buddy. The defendant claimed that his constitutional right to a speedy trial was violated by a 21-month period between the crimes and the indictment. As we all know, an unreasonable pre-indictment delay denies the defendant due process. And where the delay is a protracted one, it is the people's burden to establish good cause that justifies the delay. Holy Judge Wapner, Pops. The ball is in the people's court. All rise, Jim Boy. The third department reviewed the speed of trial and due process claims using the well-known Taranovich factors. I'll tell you what they are. Number one, the extent of the delay. Number two, the reason for the delay. Number three, the nature of the underlying charge. Four, was there an extended period of pretrial incarceration? And five, was the defense impaired or prejudiced by the delay? Well, Pops, let's see if the people
0: rose to the challenge here. The third department found that, of course, the 21-month delay was protracted. But the people established that the delay was caused by the victim's lack of cooperation. When the victim did eventually cooperate, the case was presented to the grand jury. So the court found that the inherently discretionary and subjective prosecutorial determination of what constituted sufficient evidence to
1: successfully prosecute a defendant justified the delay. Well said, Jim Boy. And the remaining Taranovich factors similarly fell right down the people's line. The court found that as the charges were serious, the people may be expected to proceed with far more caution and deliberation than they would expend on a relatively minor offense. Also, the defendant was not incarcerated during the pre-indictment delay and the defendant did not demonstrate any impairment to his defense of the case. Thus, the court concluded there was no violation of the defendant's due process rights. So a shutout. Down the people prevailed. Well, that was worth waiting for. Uh, well, Jim Boy, here's our final case today, and it's from the fault department. People v. Zakai Sweet and Savory. Looks like there might be some bitter feelings here, Pops. ha, <laughs> you got the flavor of this one already, partner. The defendant here appealed his murder conviction claiming that the trial court aired in admitting into evidence defendant's statements concerning his membership in a gang and his participation in prior robberies with the decedent.
0: Now hold on there, Pops. Even I know that evidence of a defendant's prior bad acts may be admissible when it is relevant to a material issue in the case other than the defendant's criminal propensity. (laughs) Why, that's just basic Molyneux principles Dating back to
1: 1901. <laughs> You're right on the money there, Jim Boy. The Fourth Department found that the trial court did not abuse its discretion in admitting the evidence concerning the defendant's gang membership because the evidence was inextricably interwoven with the narrative of events leading up to the shooting and provided necessary background information to explain to the jury the relationship between the defendant, the decedent, and the eyewitnesses to the crime. No surprise here, but a good restatement of the law. And also, don't forget that the court found that the evidence's prejudicial
0: effect did not outweigh its probative value, and the fourth department further found that the evidence that the defendant and the decedent had committed the crimes together was admissible to complete the narrative of the events charged in the indictment and to provide
1: necessary background information. That's right, Jim Boy. Complete domination on all aspects of the Molyneux Principles, an excellent restatement of the law.
0: Well, Pops, that's all we have time for right now. And thanks to all of you folks for joining us here on the Halftime Report. Along with Pops McCallahan, I'm Jim Horsecollar Brooks, wishing all of you... A great
1: Thanksgiving. And to all of you out there, we gotta thank you for all you do for us in the trenches. Well said,
0: my friend, well said.
1: Oh, four wins today.
0: Very satisfying. (laughs) Who could that be?
1: It's the boss. Oh boy, I knew you'd be here today. Get out your smoking jacket and grab your fedora. You're coming with me for Thanksgiving dinner.
0: This has been a thrilling and sporty episode of Tales from the Trenches. Today's featured cases and lots of other useful information can be found on Nipty's Prosecutor's Encyclopedia. This episode was written, produced, directed, and performed by your friends here at Nipty, And from all of us at Nipty, have a great Thanksgiving. And don't forget to join us next time on Tales from the Trenches when we hear the boss say, Happy Holidays to all and to all a good night. So long for now.